This is Jill Soley, co-author of Beyond Product, How Exceptional Founders Embrace Marketing to Create and Capture Value for Their Business. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Jill Soley, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you? I am phenomenal. How are you? Great. I'm doing great, and I hope you and the and the family are, are healthy there in Northern California. We are hunkered down, but and maybe going a little bit stir-crazy, but you know what? We are healthy and safe, and so I am thankful. That's great. And you've got a, a couple of boys? I do. I've got a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old. Oh, wow. Cool. Yes. And I seem to recall one of them is a baseball player. Yes. Well, my 13-year-old, if you ask him what he's missing right now, it's all about baseball. He didn't even get to play one game before we quarantined. So he is he's pretty sad. And there's not even baseball to watch. I know. And I interviewed a uh, author from Oakland who lives in Oakland. Uh, he's from Brooklyn originally, Bob Hoffman. And uh, he's a big Giants and A's fan, more Giants than A's, but he lives in Oakland, so he's required by law to root for the uh, for the athletics. And uh, he just said he really uh, he really misses that. So you were uh, one of the more recent guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, episode two hundred fifty four, and we're up to about two eighty now. You were on in November of twenty nineteen. For those that haven't listened to that episode, and as we talk a little bit more, they're going to want to go back and listen to it if they haven't. Um, tell us a little bit about, remind us uh, who Jill Soley is, what she does, and uh, what she's written. Sure. So uh, I am a product person, I guess, a product and marketing person. Uh, I've been doing uh, product management and marketing for um B2B SaaS products uh, in Silicon Valley for the past, yikes, uh, about 20 years, um, and basically helping companies um, launch and grow their businesses. And um, based on what I was seeing in my work, uh, uh, I last year, last year now, um, launched Beyond Product because I was seeing uh, a lot of these companies sort of building great products or sometimes missing things in what they were building. And they were really missing the marketing 
piece of what they needed to understand in order to build the right product and get it to market to reach their customers. So um, Beyond Product is really a sort of practical, approachable marketing book for startup and small business leaders. Though really, it's for anyone launching a new product or business. And it includes interviews with more than 50 startup leaders and pr to provide a, a roadmap to help these entrepreneurs avoid common pitfalls uh, and leverage marketing in the way they need to to take these ideas and turn them into a successful business. And so people who don't know all the Jill Soli trivia, okay, you're, uh, you're originally from New York, right? I am. And I am. I've got family in New York. Yep. And you're a graduate of MIT, which I guess in Silicon Valley just gets you all kinds of secret handshake points. Um, and actually, I've, I've uh, interviewed some other uh, MIT grads. So there's, uh, I see somebody who wants to be on the show or uh, has a book that would be a great fit for the listeners. I see they went to MIT. It's like, ah, I'm on to something. So uh, that's good. And now you, you are also, this is where it gets really into the weeds, Jill Soley used to be a hang gliding instructor in North Carolina's Outer Banks near where I live. Shh, don't tell my kids. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> so my, And crazy. <laughs> well, it is crazy, but that's why they have uh, EMTs down in, in the Outer Banks. And listeners to this uh, special, hopefully limited time series, Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails, will know that my son – Works for Curatech Fire EMS. <laughs> he's he's okay. an, he's an EMT <laughs> down there, and he uh, is also a volunteer uh, EMT in Virginia Beach. And anyway, he uh, is always sending us pictures of the wild horses that are running around. They come right up to the station there, and then he just bought a drone, <laughs> and now he's got all this beautiful footage. I should send it to you because it'll really make you homesick for that. So, oh. why do you not want your boys to know that you are a hang gliding instructor? Well, actually, they they have found out that I that I was a hang gliding instructor. Because but they listen to the marketing book podcast. I know, yeah. So my goal as a parent is to teach my kids to um, maybe make smarter decisions, smarter sort of risk decisions than hang gliding. Right. I love it. I miss it. I miss it terribly. I mean, you know, I sometimes go out to Fort Funston and I'll hear and I see people flying, and it is. Incredible. I mean, it is the closest thing to flying like a bird that you would ever do. I'm so glad I did it. But, you know, I also watched a couple of friends paralyze themselves doing Ooh. it, right? Um, so, yeah, so I've, I've changed my risk profile as a parent. And now I try to um, launch, you know, create new categories of software. And so I've sort of shifted my risk focus to other things. <laughs> so... That was risky, but you went into the SaaS marketing world, and that's really risky. Um, although there may not be a lot of uh, tissue damage uh, doing that, but um, now different since, kind of risk, right? Yes. And since I, I we last spoke, I think you've even gone on to another job. Is that right? I I have. I uh, am three weeks in as the VP of Product at Issue. Mm. Super excited! And Issue does what? So uh, Issue is really focused around enabling content creators to do more with their content. So if you think about like marketers who do all this work to create content and then they get it out 
and then what, right? Like you want to make the most of your content that you create, whether it's a magazine or an ebook or whatever it is, we enable you to create once and then get it out easily in all the different places that you need to get it out. Oh, wow. Well, that's right up my alley. I'll have to uh, check that out. So now you're the only person I know that's gotten a new job during the quarantine. Was this something that uh, you'd been working on before you went into lockdown? Yeah. So out of fairness, yes, we were um, certainly, we uh, had a lot of conversations and sort of the the process started before. uh, And really, um, I accepted the job sort of just at the beginning as this whole uh, shelter in place thing was starting. And uh, Issue has been phenomenal about just, I mean, talk about a company with sort of empathy and, and how they take care of people and so forth. Uh, I pushed back my start date a bit because I couldn't start a new job as my kids were starting home learning <laughs> and try and sort of figure out the how do I manage my kids and what is home learning and figure out a new job and like what does this world look like? So I took a few weeks to kind of get my kids settled and our new schedule and life settled and so forth before jumping in at, at issue. Yeah, so we're going to quarantine the family. I'm going to get the kids suddenly here. I think I'll start a new job too, just to, you know, make it interesting and exciting. Hey, you know what? Last year I wrote a book while I was working full time at a startup. So, you know, yeah. You know, you know it's the same thing. Yeah. So there's clearly this whole, uh, uh, it's not risk aversion, it's the opposite of that. You clearly go <laughs> to where the risk is. Um, so when we were starting this conversation, I took a picture of you toasting the listener, which everyone can see at marketingbookcocktails.com. And I noticed uh, a very interesting bottle. What, what is it you were drinking? So I am drinking salted mangalicious fruited IPA from Bear Bottle from the Bear Bottle Brewery, which is a local brewery here. Um, and uh, you know they've they've got their brewery and they they sell their beer locally. And when the shelter in place happened, they, like many others, had to kind of rethink their business and uh, what they were doing and what were they going to do with this beer that was going to go bad. And so uh, the the founder who you know lives in, in my community as a neighbor just reached out and posted on social and said, hey, I'm going to deliver, you know, put in your orders and sort of started a mailing list. And so has been literally like hand delivering to people's doorsteps uh, since then. And so you said, I, you I said to him, the, I'm here to help by buying the product. <laughs> I can help with that problem. Yes. <laughs> uh, if I have to, I will drink your beer. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm yes. Jill Solin. I'm the solution to your problem. What, you know, exactly. uh, what else do you need? So now we have to talk briefly about why is Elvis in the room with you? And yes, all you people in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, I know your ears just perked up near living near Graceland. Why is Elvis in the room with you and why does he have a mask on? So um, Elvis has been keeping me company in my office for a lot of years, 20 plus years, um, pretty much since I drove across the country uh, uh, in with a friend of mine in Hermiata in my 20s and stopped and visited Graceland and really discovered how awesome Elvis was. It was a pilgrimage, uh, right? It was a pilgrimage. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I actually believe that everyone, um, 
every uh, one who lives in the country should try and find an opportunity to get in a car and drive around the country. Mm. I, it's one of those things that, you know, don't, don't mean to get into politics here at all. Like, and it's not a sort of one side or the other, but we are a very divi- divided and divisive country. And I think if people did that and just really explored and drove around and stopped in different states and got to know the people and the culture and so forth, I think it would do a lot to help with the divisiveness of our country. I don't know anyone who has done that who hasn't uh, become a change person. And I can't tell yeah. them what to expect, but it's just a it's just an adventure. And if you can't do that, you should still go to Graceland. Uh, you know, I think uh, everyone needs to go there. And I don't work for the Memphis uh, Convention of Visitor Bureau, but uh, so everyone should understand that it's a life size cutout of of Elvis wearing his uh, wearing black leather, uh, which is cool. You know, maybe for his uh, motorcycle riding. Now in my office, which we're now starting to vacate here, we had a life-size cutout of Elvis, but he was wearing his army uniform. And Elvis, as I'm sure everyone knows, was in the army in Germany. Douglas Burdett was in the army in Germany. I mean, the similarities are just really uncanny. (laughs) And And you sing like Elvis and dance like him too, right? Well, I after a few drinks here, let me show you. Oh no, this is an audio only podcast. No, I can't sing as my wife will tell you, but speaking of my wife, there's this long running joke about Elvis in our family. And I don't mean to take up all my Jill Soli time, but I have to tell this quick story because you saw how excited I was when I saw the life-size cutout of Elvis in your uh, office there. So we were living in uh, New York City many years ago where I met her, and I had a friend who worked with me at J. Walter Thompson, and she had gone, she'd flown to Vegas and got married by an Elvis impersonator. And this was before the uh, Nicolas Cage movie with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, Honeymoon in Vegas, one of the greatest films in American film history. And, and so, you know, I tried to convince my husband to do that with me, and he just, he refused. No but I way! <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so we were dating, and uh, somehow, you know, the subject of uh, getting married came up, and uh, so I said, oh, I have this great idea. You know, she, she did it, and my friend, and, you know, wouldn't that be great? We could just go to Vegas and get married. We wouldn't have to deal with our families, you know. It would just be crazy. We could tell our grandkids about it one day. And she, you know, laughed. And anyway, we went off to do whatever we were doing. The next day, she, looking a little bit like she'd seen a ghost, she said, I've thought about what you said uh, about going to Las Vegas, and I thought, I think I would like to get married in a church, maybe something where I could wear a wedding dress and my maybe my parents could attend. And I thought, oh, okay. So I said, we'll talk about it next year. And I thought, oh, okay, cool. So what I did was to propose marriage to her not long after that was, and we'd had all these jokes about Elvis. So I made a TV commercial where I was working at that ad agency and I edited it. And I put it at the end of a copy of the movie Viva Las Vegas, which is one of his greatest films, as I'm sure you oh, know. Oh, my favorite. My favorite. That's that's my song when I do karaoke. Get out. <laughs> we have, well, what else, what else would I sing? We have that poster framed in our laundry room just to show you the place of honor that Elvis has. So 
I, 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 it was just, it wasn't me on camera. It was the title cards and it had Don't Be Cruel playing in the background. It was extremely well done. I could have won a, a Clio for that. Anyway, she watched it and she said three things. First, she said, yes. So it had the desired effect on the target audience. <laughs> then she said, you're really weird, which, you know, I've heard a lot since then. And then she said, like any, like a clock. Yes, it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? She said yes, so it was okay. Yes, right. And then she said, uh, like, because back in the when I was in the advertising business, the client would always say, "Can I see it again?" She she said, "Can I see it again?" <laughs> it's like like I was showing her a rough cut. So what happened was we got married in New York City, and we had a you know very nice little uh, reception there on the Upper East Side, and uh, had a, a quartet from uh, Juilliard that was you know, playing jazz. But what she didn't know is that. I hired an Elvis impersonator to show up at the very end of the wedding reception. And uh, what was funny was they said, okay, you know, you order these Elvis impersonators in New York City. And they said, do, what kind of Elvis do you want? I said, oh, I want the old, I'm with the old Elvis, the guy with the, the jumpsuit, the whole thing. <laughs> and they said, okay, yeah, old Elvis, we got it, you know. And so then this guy shows up and he's got like black pants, black shirt, gold tie, gold lame jacket. And I'm thinking, hmm, that's not exactly what I ordered. But I mean, he came at a very specific time and I knew to meet him outside the reception hall and all. So uh, he said, hey, uh, I'm going to play three songs. And I'd forgotten that, that I was getting that too. He goes, what song do you want? And I said, well, Viva Las Vegas, you know. Of course. And what he, else would you I, I know. And he looked at me. And he said, that's 64. I'm a pre-60 Elvis. <sighs> and I thought, oh, okay. All right, uh, pre-60. And I you know, gave him a couple. Anyway, he came in and uh, fortunately, uh, my wife thought it was funny. Or that would have been one of the shortest uh, <sighs> marriages. And so anyway, every year at the uh, wedding anniversary, Douglas gives her a little something from the Graceland uh a gift shop and uh she always kind of plays along we have lots of uh, elvis fridge magnets on the on the fridge but um anyway that's that's my elvis story and uh there you go and that's why anyone that mentions elvis just you know gets me fired up and then a wedding present from one of my friends at the agency was this life-size very tacky ceramic bust of elvis which is now it's in our home. And in fact, you know what? I'm going to take a picture of it, include it in Jill Soley's show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com. And it's in our home, which is, you know, beautifully attired, despite uh, what you might think of the, this host. And it's really out of place, but it's, and she wants to get rid of it in the worst way. And I say, honey, no, come on. We've got, no. <laughs> we got to have Elvis. No. You have to, I mean, I've got, you know, I've got a cardboard cut out of Elvis in my office, right? Yeah. And every time I get on Zoom for work calls, he's right there and he's sheltering place safely with his mask on. But like, he ha has to have his place, his place Thank in you. the center. You know, Jill Soley, I loved your book. I liked interviewing you, but now you, you've really got it going on. So <laughs> please write another book because I've got to interview you again. Um, but let me ask you uh, enough about enough about me and this uh, really crazy story, which you know most people will probably think you know that guy didn't he didn't seem too stable anyway. So, but they know that from listening to the show. What are some things that you have noticed 
that have have changed. I guess my, mainly in the startup world and the and, you know the Northern California. What are things that you've noticed that changed that might stick around for a while? You know, that's interesting because I've been I've been thinking about that a lot um, as I kind of you know am watching the changes, right? And some of them they're kind of obvious, right? Like I think um, certainly I think the workplace is changing, right? Uh, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and work with who are just resistant to remote work and believe everybody needs to be in one place. And that has to change. I mean, it kind of had to change anyway from a workforce standpoint, but if this doesn't change people's mind, we're doing it, right? I mean, companies are just doing it. People are figuring it out. Obviously, it doesn't work for everyone and so forth, but certainly for the kinds of companies that I work for, right? You know, B2B SaaS, startup, software companies, right? We can do our work from anywhere. Let's let people figure out how to make it work and not have to commute for an hour each way every day, right? Yeah, and I remember uh, some years back, there was a lot of remote working. And then, if I'm not mistaken, you're going to be more familiar with this than I am. Marissa Mayer was head of Yahoo, and she said everybody needed to come back into the office. And didn't IBM do that at, at some point as well? Yeah. Though so I... My theory on that... Is that what you're saying? Like, they were, people were resistant? Was it more management or... My theory on that was that it was more of a management thing that they were, that maybe there were, you know, they had to make cuts and stuff and they, there were people maybe who weren't working hard and stuff. And they did that as a way to sort of force, force the issue, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the thing is, I mean, you can see if people are doing their work or not. Right. So I, I I just think that is you know that that is so last century, um, and co- the companies that figure out how to be flexible and how to really support their workers uh, are are the ones that are going to survive and do well. Hmm. So with this job at issue, were you going to be going into an office? Um, yes, but. So we have an office and uh, certainly I plan to be there, you know, at least part of the time. But so we have three locations. Uh, our headquarters is here in Palo Alto, California, but most of our development is in Copenhagen. And we also have uh, a development team in uh, Berlin as well. Most of my team are, and most of the people reporting to me and most of the people I work with are in Copenhagen. So I'm remote from them anyway. So, you know, I, I, I actually think this is sort of the best of both worlds to be able to go into an office when it makes sense to go into an office. And sometimes it's great to be able to work with people in person, but to have the flexibility and not have to go into an office, especially when it's in a different place than most of my coworkers, it just makes sense. Yeah, and I wonder if it's clearer now, like, what? why do we need to do that? It seems like there's a lot of companies that are going to be saying, wait a minute, <laughs> why do we, can we all just have a preliminary meeting on Zoom before we all start buying plane tickets to wherever it is uh, we need to be going? Yeah, and there are times, I mean, right now, so it's really interesting. Uh, I'm starting, I've started a new job. Uh, 
in this very weird world, right? I'm meeting my coworkers for the first time in their living rooms with their kids jumping on them, right? Like I'm meeting people's like people in their personal space. I'm meeting their families. Um, it's it's a really interesting way to, and 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 oh by the way on screen. So I you know, there's stuff that's really hard about that. Like in an ideal world, I would have spent my first two weeks in Copenhagen and just, you know, having coffee with people and joining meetings and really seeing what's happening and how things get done and spending that that time as opposed to sort of an hour here or there on Zoom. Um, but I'm also meeting people and getting to know them personally in a different way uh, just as a result of this and figuring out, right, who's you know, stuck in a small apartment and trying to manage their time vis-a-vis you know, vis their significant other's time and their, you know, little kids, right? Uh, or whatever else they're trying to juggle. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, which is sort of the, all related to the whole sort of workplace shifting that just that empathy for, for employees as well as customers, this kind of has to force that, right? I mean, if you are not, empathetic and can't really take care of your people in this time and your customers in this time. And I hope that translates to how people do business going forward. Yes. And it seems like whenever you do get to Copenhagen, you'll probably know these people better than you uh, probably uh, would have. And the only other question I have is, have they seen Elvis when they are talking to you on Zoom? Elvis hangs out in my office with me. He's my, you know, he, he's my office buddy. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. I think, <laughs> I think, uh, I think that uh, is probably going to help. Have you been getting, as a marketing leader, have you been getting questions or concerns from friends or colleagues about, you know, should we be marketing? Should, what, what should we do at this time? There seems like there's this great fear of being tone deaf. Yeah, and there should be. If um, if you're not concerned about it, you should be asking that question, uh, and you should be rethinking. Uh, you should be thinking rethinking a lot of things, right? The world has changed, so you should be questioning: Is your business model right? Right? Are you focusing on the right things? And you should be certainly looking at those messages you're sending, or you know, um, what what is the the experience with your company and does it come off as tone deaf? There's, um, I, it was great to see a lot of companies put the pause on the stuff that they were sending out in those sort of first days. And especially as, you know, there were people getting, you know, beginning to get sick and like that just a lot of people stressed out and so forth. Uh, and you could really tell the difference between uh, the different companies and um, how flexible and sort of quick they could kind of re revisit what they were doing and just their level of empathy. Mm, that's great. And there's also been a lot of companies that I just love hearing about where they're doing something. You know, their actions are speaking much louder than anything they could say about themselves, about how they're they're helping folks out. Without naming any names, though, have you seen examples of companies that are really um, – not doing the right thing? I'm uh, I'm sure there are a bunch. I guess I've maybe been spending more time noticing the ones that are doing the right things. And what um, are some of the things that you've seen them say or do? So the companies that are um, 
going above and beyond to kind of, you know, offer content uh, or um, or offerings for people, right? So if you think about the like, you know, Zoom, right? Obvious one, loosening limitations on on their free accounts and on their, you know, uh, for their student accounts, mm-hmm. right? So people could, all of a sudden people were starting to do cocktails and so forth. And that's that's been the social connection. And so, you know, on the one hand, this is great for business for Zoom. Like Zoom has suddenly, I'm sure they're doing phenomenally and they've um, become synonymous with the the social social connecting, right? Uh, in this time period, but they're doing the right things instead of charging extra for that. They're loosening those restrictions and saying, okay, you know what? We will give you, yes, you can have longer meetings. You can have more meeting people in your meetings, even though you don't have a business account and stuff like that, right? All these businesses like Coursera, which are giving away free courses. I'm, I've been taking one. I've been taking the, the Yale happiness class. Um, oh, wow. Corey, I'll have, is- to include, I'll have to include a link to Coursera in your episode's uh, show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com. That's a great you idea. Should- yeah, I mean, there, and there are all these organizations like that, like that is one of many, but they're really thinking about how can we help people at issue, we've been doing that, right? We've uh, been given giving away capabilities during this time to help people make do, you know, do more in terms of making money off of their content on issue, uh, you know, while you know, because everybody's sort of, you know, all these small businesses that we support are having more trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just think, it's it's both the messages and sort of really being mindful of where people are and uh, thinking about what you can do to be empathetic and to help people during this time. Right? Yes. That's what I like to see. Yes. And I'm, I'm not seeing, I, I don't know, maybe I'm not, I'm not exposed to the messages like I used to be when we were all a captive audience. But if there's any listeners out there that have seen examples of companies that are not getting it right, uh, please send a voice memo to me at Douglas at salesartillery.com. And we can include that in an in a upcoming uh, episode of this. That would be very interesting. So, Jill, on your book, uh, Beyond Product, it was one of those books where – it was one of those crazy pills books, to use a Zoolander reference, where I read through that. And even when we talked uh, for your interview, I, I was still just dumbfounded that so many companies uh, were struggling with some of these things. And, I, you know, in fairness, it's not – their area of expertise and it's something that you know we're very familiar with but this whole idea of product market fit just seems to uh be more elusive than than even i i was aware of can you explain that phenomenon that that product market fit and maybe why so many companies seem to miss that sure um yeah i see it i see it a lot and i've been to- doing some sort of advising, you know, new startup founders and so forth uh, on it, uh, especially recently. And, you know, it's really about deeply understanding your customer and understanding what they need and uh, building the right product for that customer, right? I mean, that's the sort of product market fit piece. And then kind of, and then the understanding where they are and how to communicate with them the value of it is which is sort of the next layer right um and it's when you say it it seems obvious like well 
of course I have to build a product that customers need if I want to build a business, right? Mm -hmm. I think the catch is that uh, often founders think they know what the market needs uh, before they really understand, right? They they talk to a handful of, of friends or people they know, or they have a problem and, or they just think, oh, that'd be cool, right? And it probably is cool, but to they them. don't really, right, to them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there is, there are enough people in the world that they can find, that they can define, and they they know how to find and sell this thing to, and they know exactly what the right combination of things is to build, to, to solve the problem for that big enough market set, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the the catch that they, you know, often people, they get so caught up on the idea uh, and the excitement around what they're building that they don't step back and really do the work to say, okay, I need to talk to 50 or 100 people in this market to really, really, really deeply understand them and make sure that I'm really solving a, a need for them and that they will pay for it. You were not trying to make me laugh when I read the book, but there was one particular line in the book that just made me burst out laughing. And I guess, again, I was laughing to keep from crying. And I understand why people might say this, but (laughs) it was this idea of a CEO of a startup who said, we've got a great product. Why am I not minting money? (laughs) You've You've had people say that to you. What? What are some of the questions you start to ask them right off the bat when they first met you and they express this frustration that suddenly they're not making money? Why why is the product not just selling itself? First, who is your customer? No, no, no. Who, Who really is your customer, right? Like, tell me what you know about that customer. Um, you know, exercise number one is here's a double-sided page, write down as much as you know about that customer. Mm -hmm. Can you fill this, right? Um, Then what is the the pain? Like, give me the key value prop that you solve. So the, well, the first piece on that that customer, it's also getting very specific about that customer. Mm -hmm. I solve a problem for marketers. Yeah, that wouldn't float it. That wouldn't work at issue. Uh, no, right? Like how many different kinds of marketers are there, right? How many, you you interview marketers every day, right? We well, during quarantine, yes. And sizes, yes. And normally what, weekly? But yeah. you know, we are all so different, right? Talk to 10 marketers and we are all so different from each other. Um, so what kind of marketers, right? Is it social media marketers that focus on B2B, right? What is it? Um, so there's that customer piece. And then there's the what is the problem that they have and how much pain do they feel, right? Like, is this Vicodin level pain? Like, do they really need a pain pill for it? Is it like, eh, yeah, that'd be kind of nice to have. Vicodin yeah. level pain. I'm stealing it, Jill Soley. In fact, that reminds me of an expression I've since learned, which was, are you selling vitamins or painkillers? I, I understand yeah. it's a big Silicon Valley expression. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, if it's, you know, if, if, it's, if Tylenol would solve it, eh, you know. You may not have a business, right? <laughs> and then what are you doing to market it, right? Like the, that that whole, like, if I build it, they will come. 
But don't a lot of them think that how do you market it? In my experience, a lot of these founders or CEOs or whatever think of marketing as paid promotion, which is just one small part of marketing, which a lot of companies actually don't have to do. Right. Right. Yeah. And and I think that's the key, right? When you really understand your customer and you know where they are, where do they hang out? What do they pay attention to? How do they learn about new products? Um, right? You can, like, as you really understand them, then you can figure out, well, what should I be doing and how do I find that person? And you can focus in if you are going to do paid, right? You can focus in on that customer instead of losing a ton of money by advertising to other people. Yes, that's interesting you mentioned about the page because there was a book on the show. I can't remember which one because Jill Soley, after almost 300 of these books that I've read and <clears throat> an equal number of cocktails, they all <laughs> kind of blur together. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But there was this one exercise I remember learning about, and I apologize to whichever author it was. The exercise you do is you have the piece of paper, two-sided paper, and you say, okay, I want everybody to write down, this is more of an exercise for buyer personas, like how much do we really know about our customers? And a listener once did this at her job, and she got promoted. Now, I think she was pretty sharp. I mean, come on, she listens to the Marketing Book Podcast. She's obviously very sharp, but she got promoted after this little stunt. So anyway, uh, she's, okay, so what you do is you write down, okay, now pick out your favorite TV show or whatever, and write down everything you know about your favorite character, okay? So, like, people in the United States might say The Office, you know, not the British version, but the American version. And let's say somebody really likes the character of Dwight Schrute, and they know all about him, and they write down everything they know about him, what irritates them, what they like, all that sort of thing. And then everyone's having a good time. And uh, people read them out loud, and it's a lot of fun. And then you say, okay, now turn the paper over and write down everything we know about our customer. And so yeah. then they said, all right, you got us. <laughs> we better do some buyer persona research. So, uh, But that really got them all kind of excited and interested in realizing, yeah, that's that's how much we should at least know about our customers, you know, in terms of their pains and their worries and their latent anxieties and desires and all that, that type of thing. So that's interesting. That's a great exercise. Yeah. There was another book. I was wondering if you've ever met. There was really one other book that's been on the podcast about startup marketing. It was called The Ultimate Startup Guide by some uh, people that are in your area. They're uh, Tom Hogan and Carol Broadbent. They wrote that, and they're with an agency called um, Blue Water, I think it is. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. But it was a really, really good one. And if you haven't met them, you might get a kick out of meeting them because here I am trying to – get all these authors together who I think need to know each other. But it was really a very funny book, but you know, a lot of things like your book explains. And I remember in that book, they talked about how the legend of Steve Jobs was the worst possible thing to happen to startup CEOs. Absolute worst ever, ever. (laughs) You can affirm that. (laughs) I mean, you know, Theranos aside, um, uh, absolutely the worst because everyone thinks they're Steve Jobs and they know everything. And they, they, there's this myth that Steve Jobs just uh, went on intuition 
Well, Apple, by the way, makes more investment in user research than I think any other company, right? But there's this myth. And so everyone uses it. But but he saw the market and it. I can't ask customers because customers don't know. So I should just do it because I'm ahead of the world. Right. But didn't even he have pretty good insights into what customers would like or what they uh, might want in, in life or you know, something but, like that? By all means he did, right? I mean, but you know, he also tragically failed at some things, right? If you look over the course of his career, he was really right about some things and he was really wrong about some things, right? Yeah. And at the end of their book, they then came back and reprised that. Well, but also, but I think they were more, in that book, they were talking more about why uh, he was so, it, the things that people mistakenly learn from him really turn off employees. It attracts the wrong kind of talent. It it just, it, it it's not a good idea from a, a leadership standpoint. But even at the end of that book, they talked about all the things he had done wrong and the lessons he learned from getting all those things wrong that people seem to uh, forget about. So even Steve Jobs did a lot of learning. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It was a few years ago and maybe we've learned a few things, right? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and we are mere mortals. So maybe there are some ways that we can actually, um, there are tools and sort of processes that we can leverage that might give us a leg up. Right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But at any rate, well, Jill Soley, I really appreciate the opportunity to connect, reconnect with you and learn about our deep uh, interest in, in the king. And uh, we're going to have to uh, have some further conversations about that. But um, I hope that uh, you and your family and, and all the folks at your, the, the new company you work for, as well as the old one, continue to stay uh, safe and healthy and reasonably sane. I appreciate that. I, I hope the same for you. And I look forward to having a cocktail in person when all this is over. Deal. Bright light said it gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn. So get those stakes up higher. There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there They're all living the devil may care And I'm just a devil with love and spare So people lost When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty You stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.